Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I was lucky enough to go to the home of Australia's longest-running beer appreciation society, club, something or other, in the local tap house St Kilda, which is home to the Ale Stars. And I was lucky enough to talk to the most entertaining of all the Ale Stars, Andrew Gargan, better known as Shandy. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast and with me today we're sat in the local tap house in a very important year for the local tap house in St Kilda because it's the 10th birthday of the Ale Stars and with me king of the Ale Stars some might say well I would say <laughs> is Andrew Shandy Gargan well, welcome yeah thanks for having me Ian thanks very much um, the official title is Ale Czar which was <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm less comfortable. King sounds better to me, but uh, Ailsar was, uh, I think that was Steve that came up with that. He loves a title for this and that, so he does. That's pretty good, actually, yeah. It's all right. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to moan about it. What would Zars having the reputation that they do? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. And you you do have a reputation. Um, you're kind of the glue that holds the Ailstars together, but tell me about what, what is the Ailstars? Well, I pro- I've told this story many times um, throughout the years at the Ale Stars, um, and I mainly I mainly bring it up to um, to help remind everyone that it wasn't Steve's idea because <laughs> he because he does like to claim. Um, but uh, Ale Stars has kind of happened um, very soon after this place opened. Actually, I used to live just around the corner, across the road, and um, I also worked directly across. On the opposite corner from here, um, above what's now that little cake shop. For anyone listening who knows the lo- <laughs> who, for anyone listening who knows the location, um, and I used to work there. And so, I used to come in here a long time ago when it was the tap house, but before it was really this great um, beer venue that we know it as now. And it was kind of where you came. And there was live music, and it was a real sticky carpet, and uh, you come in and get a uh, you know a Cooper's Green. And um, it's the, the tram stop was right out there, so I used to come in and, and wait on the tram. I missed a lot of trams sitting at the window there drinking Coopers. But anyway, the place closed down, and um, and 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 I thought nothing about it. But then uh, signs started to appear in the windows every morning. I would walk past here on the way to work, and a sign was up there saying. Um, dedicated craft beer venue opening soon i thought well far out my prayers have been answered i work there there's this craft beer venue opening and i live just here and this is a time you you have to understand when a craft beer venue didn't exist as such in melbourne uh, other than places probably like cookie um and and maybe a smattering of some other ones the beer itself wasn't prolific um aside from things like mountain goat and what have you um uh, 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 I was about to say Sierra Nevada. What I really <laughs> meant there was little creatures, pale ale. Yeah, probably the, red, the, red hill. Uh, red hill would have been just kicking around as well, and um, some of the James Squire type more, you know, ma- mainstream beers w- were there. But really, there wasn't a lot. So this sounded like it was going to be, you know, a great place. So um, I made a I made a point of being one of the very first people through the front door when it opened. In fact, I think I would have been within the first ten people because, um, like I say, it was dead handy for me. I worked next door, so I came in and um, Steve, 
um, Steve Jeffers, one of the co-owners of the place, was at the bar greeting people, making everyone feel really welcome and um, uh, introducing himself. So I met him, said, you know, uh, here's, uh, my name's Shandy. Oh, hi, I'm Steve. So we met. Um, what brings you in? Explained that I was, you know, mad keen on beer. Um, and, and again, at a time when that that wasn't the demographic, there wasn't a great deal of people that interested in beer. So me and Steve just kind of, you know, started chatting. I would come in often and chat to him, became a bit of a regular. Very soon, um, I explained to him that I'd been running a small thing with me and a couple of pals. Once a month, we'd all sit down and we'd each host um, uh, the event month to month where we'd bring in a bunch of beers for the others to try based on a style or a brewery or what have you. Now, that was really quite tricky 10 years ago. Say you wanted to find, you know, half a dozen IPAs. It, it just wasn't a very easy task. So we'd we'd shop up in places like um, uh, Purvis, way up in Surrey Hills. In fact, I'd go up there probably most Saturdays, beer hunting. It wasn't, it wasn't like you could just go down the road and there was some hipster craft beer bottle shop or something there. Anyway, I explained this sort of notion to Steve that I was running this thing and we were chatting and sort of self-educating as well about beer, trying to learn more. And he, th- and he just proposed, why don't we do that in here? Could this be a format? Would you be interested in, in hosting it? So I pretty quickly said yes, because I thought that's great. And um, and then we, we kicked it off with a couple of little events where there was four or five people around the um, what's called the high table downstairs. Uh, and orig- originally, the format was, you know, very much style-based. Um, I would explain, discuss a style, talk about roots, history, modern interpretations, yada, yada, yada. You get it. It's a bit sort of very much more educational than it is now, but... Like I say, we started off with that half dozen people. We moved it up into the um, uh, the restaurant bit at the back of the upstairs here for a few months, and it just sort of grew, and then it grew, and then it grew, and it kept growing. And now, as you know, you remember, we're downstairs, um, and we can have anything, f- you know, up to sort of eighty people attending um, on that third Tuesday of every month now, and it's, um, I think. I think statistically the longest running and best attended beer appreciation club slash whatever the heck it is um, in Australia. Cult. <laughs> yeah. A cult. If it's a cult, I'm the cult leader then, right? That's that's probably even better than Tsar or King. But yeah, that, that's that's the basic premise. And now it's really just more of a very informal chit-chat. Um, we'll have often guests from uh, breweries uh, um, coming along we'll have all the beers from that brewery that are current and things like that. Or we will have styles and maybe no guests and it would just be a bit of banter with me in the audience. We have trivia, um, which is very free form and, you know, not 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 as strict as maybe some other pub trivias. Um, we have a lot of little kind of, um, what would you say, traditions as well. We have our in-betweenies where people get the chance to go and buy beers at the bar, which sounds like, yeah, normal because it's a pub, but... It's just growing into a nice community, and everyone sort of knows each other, but it's very open and welcoming, and we love to have new people come along as well. Yeah, and it, the Ale Stars is almost as old as the Tap House itself, isn't it? You start, it started pretty quickly, <coughs> didn't it? As I say, we were fr- pretty fast off the mark, so I think this place was running a matter of two to three months uh, before we kicked it off. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're really... You know, there's no Ale Stars without the Tap House, um, but equally... 
I mean, there is a tap house without the ale stars, but ale stars is a very, um, you know, it's an intrinsic part. It's a massive component of, of, um, of what goes on here month by month. And brewers who come along to the ale stars, you do get the sense that they take it seriously because the people in the room are the kind of the pointy end craft fans, aren't they? Yeah, they, they know a that, lot about beer. That's right, they do. And we have the tech bell, um, which is just a little waiter kind of, you know, front of house hotel bell type thing. Um, and, and that's a little bit of, it's a little bit of a joke really, but we give it to someone in the audience to ring if uh, if the guest might be, you know, talking a bit technical or something. Most of the time it just gets rung because everyone's a bit pissed and we need to get them quiet. But but yeah, um, they're a well-educated crowd, always willing to learn more. Um, and, and I think sometimes that's surprised the brewers. They'll have come in and thought, well, you know, I need to tone down whatever I'm saying, but they're, you know, it's all very, um, very well received, and we ask them questions, and you know, sometimes we'll dig deep, and sometimes we'll just, you know, make fart jokes. It's <laughs> it's really quite good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun, and basically, you try the beers. Yeah, you get a meal all within one ticket. Correct. It's kind of yes, and if you join the membership, you get that every month in with your membership. Yeah, That's and I think you get, I think um, you get, you get your 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 beer mug at the bar. Does it have your name on it? Um, no. Yeah. Oh no. All right. No. So some of them used to be engraved with the names. <laughs> anyway, they're a little bit bigger than a regular glass, so you actually, you know, you, you you even gain a little bit in beer that you buy throughout the year as well. So there's a few perks. A yeah, few, a few perks. And it, it's fun. It's great. And uh, I think there's sometimes I feel like your role is a clown. Like that, you're there. To, <laughs> you're there to kind of, you know, well, it make, I, make it easy for the I, for the guests. Yeah. And then there's occasions where I feel like you, someone presses a button and you just explode with your knowledge of beer. Oh, it's, all, it's all in there somewhere, mate. Yeah, yeah. And it just all, all comes pouring out, and you kind of go from being like, uh, you know, fairly. Uh, casual about it and then it's like wow Shandy knows a lot about beer you really have to I mean well I've been doing that for 10 years but I've been interested in beer for a lot longer so there's a reservoir of you know there's a a lot of stuff packed in between my ears about beer and hopefully some other stuff as well but you gauge it on the guest if that guest um, needs to be asked the stupid questions to to get you know, to get the conversation flowing, I'm happy to ask the silly questions, you know, and be the clown. Or, or if they're a bit uncomfortable, you know, just make them feel like it's a like it's a safe space and be a bit softer. But um, equally, you're right. If we've got something that's really, really interesting and, and, the, and the brewer's got a point that they want to push, we'll get deep and, and uh, explore it. So it's, you know, we try not to do too much of that for too long because... It could get a bit serious because, yeah, it has to be fun as well. So Beer is fun. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good crack. Um, if Without giving any of your beers away, um, yeah. your six beers that changed everything, without giving them away, when did you start getting interested in beer? Well, obviously coming from Scotland, the UK has got a, a, a great wealth of beer history and... Um, uh, you know, they've developed a lot of styles that have gone on to influence the rest of the world. But um, I had somewhat of an interest in beer before I came to Australia. But I'd say, you know, the main exploration into beer has happened since I've been here. But I've been here for 16 years. Um, 
I started home brewing. Uh, I did well. Actually, I suppose to go further back, I did my first home brew when I was at uni. You probably, you, you being um, English, you, you know um, the high street chemist Boots. Yes. Right. <laughs> and they used to sell homebrew kits in the chemist. <laughs> I don't know if they do still to this day. But when I was when I was um, uh, at uni, that's where you went to get your homebrew stuff. There's no homebrew shops, and I did my first homebrew when I was probably 19. Now, I'm not saying that's when the bug bit me, because it was awful, but it was for Christmas <laughs> and, and it all got drunk. But when I came to Australia, I started homebrewing again really quickly. I had some sort of background interest, but I can't really place when and where it started. Um, maybe just actually the the environment around me growing up, there was beer there. Um, but one of, one of my beers, we'll, we'll speak a little bit to that possibly, Um but yeah, I think really the journey probably started about 15 years ago. Well, let's get started. First beer. All right, so the, the first beer um, is um, it kind of, it's got history where, uh, I don't really know how to explain that, that history part of it, but um, probably the seed was planted a way back for this beer to become what I regard now as one of my favourite beers. And, and I think because of that, we can say that it changed. It was it was instrumental. Um, so the first beer is Rodenbach Grand Cru. It's a, it's a bit of a biggie to start with, but I put it in at the beginning because that's where it sits in the timeline, weirdly. Um, and, yeah, and so tell me about that because yeah. <laughs> Grand Cru would strike me as a beer that would be later on in the average person's beer journey. Well, you're absolutely right, and I think it wasn't until later that you know that that it makes sense so i've looked at this and in hindsight i thought oh yeah okay so that was that was actually i shouldn't have i shouldn't have been drinking it when i was because i didn't have the understanding and knowledge of what it is but you, you were 12 no, well, not, not not quite <laughs> so when i was 16 we went on a school trip to belgium and um you know we t- t- took the bus from scotland all the way to Belgium, did all the normal stuff, um, like, you know, the lace factories in Bruges and whatever it is you do in Brussels. But what we did in Brussels um, was go to the, go to the pub. Because it it's legal. It's exactly. You're 16 years old. So we sort of clocked this, um, and, and we, were, we had a bit of a, bit of good free reign, you know. The, the, the teachers weren't too stern on us. So as kids, we all went off. We got this free day, I think it was, and we went to um, down the beach. But there was a there was a bar there, um, and I I wasn't the first one in. I've actually got a reasonably vivid memory of this. Anyway, I ended up in this bar for an hour or two drinking Rodenbach and Grenadine, <laughs> like you do when you're 16 in Belgium. And I don't remember it specifically being a dreadful thing because with the Grenadine in it. Like the Belgians tend to serve um, with um, other types of sours, not necessarily with Rodenbach, but perhaps they did in this. Grenadine is a really sweet syrup, is it? That's correct, yeah. yeah it's, um, what is it again? Uh, it's the, it's, oh, I forget which, which um, fruit it comes from, but there's Woodruff or there's Grenadine typically as additions to sour beers in Belgium. And um, so, yeah, I sat and drank uh, Rodenbach and Grenadine for a while. Now... What I remember of that experience was that it was sort of a delicious sort of um, 
sweet and tart thing, you know, like a bag of sour lollies almost, you know, like boiled sweets. I remember that. And then we had an elephant beer and that was the end of the afternoon. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the only downside to that whole experience was um, that my English teacher, Ronnie Cameron, clocked us uh, walking back and we might have been swaying a little because we had to uh, we had to clean the bus in the morning. But it was entirely worth it. And, you know, looking back on that experience and, and enjoying Rodenbach Grand Cru as, a, as much as I do now, I had to have to put that in... Um, and, and, and retell that story and somehow connect the two and make that one of my six. Wow. It, 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 to think that other 16-year-olds would have been going to, on a school trip and maybe sneaking a lager and lime. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grand crew. And grand I know. Sounds so exotic. And it does. And, and a part of me has pride <laughs> attached to that. <laughs> but it's just good, good fortune. But you know what? It speaks to the quality of beer that they serve in in cafe bars in Belgium because we obviously um, knew nothing. Somebody, I imagine, probably just asked the waiter what was good. What 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 should a naive Scottish 16-year-old <laughs> lad be drinking? <laughs> and uh, out came the Rodenbach and uh, Grenadine. Beautiful. Wow. That's such a, such a good story. And uh, did you, was it just that one day that you were able to... Yeah, I think that must have been our free day on the, on the school trip. And so what happened, you, get, you go back to Scotland on the, that long coach journey back, and then, then what do you drink then? Well, I'll tell you what you drink then, is and I'll know, I'll know the flavour forever, you drink stolen bottles of Becks from the back of the pub in the village. And for that, for that single reason, I will forever understand the flavour of light-struck German lager. (laughs) (laughs) That skunk, um, uh, you know, sort of skunky, fizzy becks out of a a warm bottle that you've pinched uh, from from behind the pub. See, I I feel like it's immoral that you stole it, but now that you told me how they treated it, I feel like that's kind of... Yeah, look, if they're going (laughs) to leave them in the heat, out the back, I say heat, (laughs) West Highlands... But it's still too warm to be, you know, uh, having green bottles of um, of German lager. So tell us a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, where you grew up and what was the the offerings yeah, in well, terms of beer there? If I'm very honest, you know, I didn't drink a lot of alcohol at all, mainly because of um, probably lack of access. Obviously, there was, uh, you know, the sixth form piss-ups and whatnot. Um, but as, as I explained, you know, really... Um, my interest in beer would have probably only started in my late twenties, mm. and sixth form is the end of yeah, school, that, like seventeen, that, eighteen years that's old. Right, aren't yeah. you? It's not not the end of primary school. No, not the end of <laughs> primary school. I know that they have things that uh, things are titled differently here. I still struggle actually with my my oldest kids in uh, in high school here, but the, like grade seven is it? I'm like, oh, I just I don't know. I can't compute it properly. <laughs> So I'm still figuring out how old, what grade is a 15-year-old boy in or a 12-year-old boy. Or, I don't know. <laughs> Just send them along. Yeah, but suffice to yeah, I wasn't getting pissed in primary school. <laughs> Probably the point I'm trying to hammer home there. <laughs> so so the, there wasn't a huge amount of access there. You'd have your kind of village pub, which would... What would the... the guess, selling Bex <laughs> and well, yeah, no, lagers. So I think probably the first beers I would have encountered in uh, in Glasgow would have been... Uh, you know, just good, good old 
good ales, but but maybe not such good ales. I think I remember the um, when I went to Glasgow University Open Day, drinking a lot of Green Mantle, and that's uh, I forget the name of the brewery that makes that, but it's one of the one of the sort of bigger um, regional breweries from England, and uh, they call call it an IPA, but I think it's about three percent. So. It definitely doesn't yeah. get over that bar. My, yeah, Green King or something. Yeah, um, Green King. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's Green King. Yeah, they're yeah. owned by a uh, a big. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to profess to having you know a fully developed palate going to uni at the age of uh, seventeen. <laughs> well, you'd ruined yourself on the Grand Crew anyway. Yeah, so, well, well, exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, it's just. Um, you know, when you're at uni, you, you know it's um, eighty pence pints of um, eighty shilling in the student union. So I probably drunk a fair amount of um, eighty shilling because Scot- Scotland does have many really well known breweries. That's right, of very good repute. And we'll have we'll have certainly um, we'll have certainly you know uh, you know drunk enough jukers to floated a boat as well. Yeah, no, that was. And, and and to be honest, they're all still now that you've actually uh, rekindled the memory, Ian. They're all beers that when I go back to Scotland, I'll definitely make sure I have a pint of, um, whether or not it really. Um, you know, hits hits the mark the way that you you expect that you want it to. It's nice to just revisit those things. Yeah, it's a nostalgic thing, isn't it? And it's also, I think, certainly you... not though. Drinking pints of Tenants Lager. <laughs> I just want to make that clear now. <laughs> yeah, or anything with the word super. It's no, not, normally isn't super. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can of soup. No, thank you. So. Um, Great first choice. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I really <laughs> usurped the other <laughs> options from my late teens and early twenties. I know. I feel like you put the marker too far out here. So let's go to choice two. I just wanted to be chronological. Yeah. That's all. Now, perfect. <clears throat> choice two. I, I deliberately didn't mention it until uh, till it comes up now, but I'm making my second choice. Actually, one of the beers that I would have been drinking a little bit of um, back then but probably have a stronger affection for it since I've come here because um, visiting home, I will always, I say home, visiting Scotland or England, I will always make sure that I have um, a, a good, good proper, properly pulled pint of um, Timothy Taylor Landlord. That is, that's right up there for me. And you can get that here. They you can. do export it Um is is it what condition is Janet? Because I haven't had a bottle of it for a while. Well, he, <coughs> here's the thing about um, any beer that was that's, that's been brought over that isn't, you know, a craft beer being cold freighted and what have you. They're not always super. But Tim Taylor Landor was one of the ones that I used to buy a lot of. I used to get it often on those trips I was mentioning before, where we go um, on a Saturday up to Purvis in um, in Surrey Hills, and we'd bring him back and we'd. We drink quite a quite a bit of that, and um, look, I can't speak to the quality of it back then because my palate's evolved a lot. But I do know that sometimes having it in recent years, it's been really quite good, and and sometimes not so good. Um, but it's one of the beers that I've I've I've, I've done it as a as a guest beer at Ale Stars a number of times. Um, whether it's been, you know, whether the topic's been English beers or whether we've actually done a little bit of a focus on special bitter or something like that. But um, I'll use any excuse to, to drink it, and I'll use any excuse to introduce it to other people as well, because I think it's an, it's an absolute landmark beer. It's a classic. Um, and it's, it's, it's um, anecdotally, the, the beer that um, 
influenced um, you know, the development of beers like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Because without those English Pale Ales, you don't have American Pale Ale. And that one gets, gets name-dropped in conversations when you're speaking to people like Grossman and, and what have you. Um, and I think the single best pint of beer I've ever had in my life was a pint of Timothy Taylor Landlord poured in a pub um, near Keeley, which is in uh, Yorkshire. wasn't actually in Keeley, wasn't actually the brewery tap, but it was a, um, a, a, a Tim Taylor pub. And it was outdoors in the summer, late evening, sun starting to set on the wall in the car park behind the boozer drinking a pint and I swear to God it was probably the nicest and best pint and experience sitting with a mate on a wall in a car park having a beer and it was sublime I'm just going to leave that little pause <laughs> there because I, you've, I can put myself in that <clears throat> exactly in that place yeah um, look it doesn't pr- you're picturing a car park maybe a Melbourneian probably picturing a car park thinking that doesn't sound great, mate. That, that doesn't sound nice at all. But you're sitting on the edge of a little dry stone wall, looking out on the Yorkshire Dales, drinking a pint of supremely fresh, and and not just freshly brewed, but very well cellared and, and brought up to the tap by expert people to put it in the glass and give you that experience. Because that's one of the things where kind of uh, new craft differs from that real ales is the level of skill required to sell it properly that's right yeah um, which doesn't really exist in the you know certainly you need to keep an eye on temperatures and so on but um the cask elements is a skill yeah there are pubs who don't do it well and that makes those ones who do all that more special that's right and and look even in even in england um now who was it, it wasn't ron patterson it was um oh the other fantastic um, journalist slash historian um, in the UK. I, I read his, he does the Zithophile blog and emails, and I'm really embarrassed to not remember his name right now, but he actually just um, published a report on the quality of, of um, ale being poured in pubs in England, and unfortunately the sta- standards have slipped a great deal. So you you'll know about the cask mark, mm-hmm. which is the um, sort of standard of authenticity and quality that pubs um, achieve um, by being camera approved, essentially. Um, and it's to say that if you see the plaque outside the front door, you can be kind of confident that you'll go in and get a good pint. But unfortunately, a lot of these places now are having beer going, either being served, you know, immature not not properly cellared not ready to be served or casks are sitting um and not being not being drunk in the requisite time which is about two days really for a cask once you've tapped it to have it finished and the beer's going stale and it's it's down to a number of reasons possibly uh the proliferation of craft beer and having to have 20 taps so feeling the need to expand the range in a pub that doesn't have the turnover things like that so unfortunately sorry those skills um not always being put into practice and some beer suffering as a as a result because the cask the beer is still live isn't it it's going Absolutely, through a second yeah. ferment <clears throat> which makes it different from the keg um which makes 
it, the, all the processes in terms of delivery, getting it in the cellar, the temperature, stability, uh, tapping it, pulling it through properly. And so there, there is a big loss of skill, isn't it? And probably a big loss of skill because of the um, amount of keg and the dominance of keg over cask. Yeah, and look, I think England, particularly maybe more, more so than Scotland, really been riding that, you know, you know, through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and right up till now, it's sort of been ebbing and flowing. But um, yeah, the the real ale market has um, had to fight, you know, tooth and nail to stay alive, I think. And, and somehow, I don't think, in many ways, rather, that hasn't been helped by camera, because they're a bit dogmatic and um, inflexible. So... Um, but look, that's Traditional. a whole... Yeah. <laughs> Very much. So. That's a whole other podcast, well, man. I, I, on the uh, cask mark, I was speaking to a landlord uh, of a pub in Liverpool um, when I was last back there, and they were saying, these these guys from the cask mark, I mean, you literally can see them coming from <laughs> 500 <laughs> metres because it's the only well, bloke in a suit and a briefcase <laughs> in a pub in Liverpool op- <laughs> opening, like getting his test tubes out. <laughs> and wow, all, all, all so they're they're very, of, very scientific. Well, they kind of, uh, that's probably taken it too far, but they, they essentially order kind of, you know, two or three halves, take two sips out of each of them and then walk off. <laughs> so <laughs> it's... Um, you know when you've been cast marked. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like the um, you know you're getting uh, the inland revenue coming around or the ATO or somebody. You're getting audited quite seriously. Yeah, I could imagine the frenzy. Of, hey, it's the guy from Castmark. Okay. Oh man, <laughs> you know, we're being inspected. Yeah, the uh, the the landlord would be a bit nervous there. To, to use a phrase common in Scotland, his arse would be knitting socks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've been Belgium, then we went. To yeah, England. Yeah, that's um, right. Now, choice three. Well, look, I could have written a very long list here, and you asked me about this a while ago, and I thought, oh, that's going to be t- picking six beers that kind of, you know, r- really resonate and have a have an influence there. Um, but then the list kind of got a bit out of hand. Um, so, look, I'm going to go back to Belgium um, uh, because for the lo- for, for a period of time. Um, probably about, you know, somewhere between eight and ten years ago, I had an obsession um, which, you know, r- ran, ran pretty deep. Um, and so the beer I'm picking to represent that is Vesmal Triple. Um, talk about an amazing beer, that goes without saying, but um, an underrated style, I think. I can't quite explain uh, my obsession with, with this beer, but... I think it has to be a combination of, um, well, the the, the flavours and, and aromas as well. But then um, probably its um, scarcity as well became became a thing. So, and why you, why do you think it's underrated as a style? Well, I think out of all the Belgian style beers, if you, if you wanted to think of well, what's what's hip out of Belgium? It's sour beers, right? Or um, uh, doubles probably get a little bit more airtime, but these these triples that are so amazing. So they're made almost exclusively with Belgian pilsner malt. Uh, they're quite boozy. Um, they're very very dry, and yet have an amazing malt toast flavour in there. It can hold this huge thick white head, and it has then these esters that are a little bit pear like. Some some sort of spice, maybe a bit of cinnamon, um, and the alcohol as well, adding a little bit of spiciness. But it all just 
comes together and marries in an absolutely just an ecclesiastical wonder <laughs> um, of, of a beer and really drinkable. Don't drink too much. Quite quite boozy. Um, and with that that Belgian yeast doing its thing, it's just I found them fascinating. I don't drink it so much anymore. Um, I don't see it very often, um, but poured into the correct glassware. Also, a difficult beer to pour because they're very effervescent. You know, these these Belgian um, beers for the most part are, are quite sparkly, but the triples a little more so. Sometimes three and a half to more volumes of CO two in the in the bottle, and um, you know, pouring it's a skill. You get it to pour right. Leave that little bit of lees in the in the bottle because you don't want to muddy the. Um, uh, muddy the glass, and you've got this amazing beer, sparkling and bright, beautiful head. It could be a pilsner until you bring it to your nose and get that amazing full, full aroma. Oh, so good. It's there's something that strikes me about beers like that, which are very reassuring when you have them. The kind of you know they do feed your soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of. Are like you getting religious? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said ecclesiastical. So uh, I, was, I was just punning. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been working me into you know talking about romantic scenes in uh, in, in Yorkshire and <laughs> moving. Now, on now to we're tra- off to travels, a monastery. Yeah. To, it's your penance. <laughs> yeah. So that's quite. When when was the first time you had that beer? Yeah. Look. So I would have would have not had that, um, but at least in memory until I was living in Australia. But interestingly, some of the first beers that were in Australia were English and, and Belgian, right? So um, just to go back to the same story again, so I'd be up in Surrey Hills at Purvis on a Saturday, and the most beers on the shelves would be English or Belgian, certainly not American. I do remember actually one time Simon, who worked in there, I was becoming acutely aware of the American beer scene and, and how craft beer in America was becoming really big and Sierra Nevada and Stone and uh you know Ballast Point all these other breweries and I remember saying to Simon dude when 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 are you going to get some of these these American beers I keep reading about when are you going to get them in and and Simon looking at me and just staring right through me and saying mate that will never happen never who's going to buy beer from America well now look but anyway that's getting off off topic do you think that was just an accident of um, kind of distribution networks, and that we just got Belgium, uh, Belgium, and yeah? European look, I think beers? obviously Europe trade routes to Europe, um, containers coming with English beer, uh, Belgian beer, French wine, Italian wine. Yeah, I think we've had we've had pretty open booze borders between Europe and Australia for the longest time. So if you're going to stock anything out of um, you know out of the norm that isn't Carlton Draft in a bottle shop that you're trying to promote interesting beer in 10, 12 years ago, it's mainly going to be European stock. And it's probably a reflection of how, how bad mainstream American beers are. Like, it almost, <laughs> almost damaged. The, it, you know, it, because when people think, you know, unless you're in the know, when you think of American beer, you, you're thinking they don't know what they're doing. You know, well, that would have been, that would have been definitely the old, the old opinion. And mm. that, probably took a while and you'd imagine that the mainstream would still think you know rolling rock uh budweiser etc yeah absolutely yeah definitely but the um so with vest triple that really 
that kicked off an absolute obsession with me, like I'm, like I like I explained, and um, I wanted to try every triple I could lay my hands on. And the the, the weird thing that that happened was, whilst I couldn't at that time buy a half a dozen reliable IPAs, I was able to track down twenty different triples, mainly European, uh, but even some Australian. Um, I forget um, the name of the... There was a brewery in a... There is a brewery, Mad Abbott. Is that what it's called? I think it's in WA, and it might even be uh, in, a, in, a, in an abbey of sorts. I might just be making things up now, but that's... <laughs> like I say... It's, I, I really hope this is true. <laughs> I hope it's true too, because I don't want to be a fool on your podcast, but um, uh, I have got a vivid imagination. But I, yeah, I think there's Mad Abbott. Look, look that one up. Again, we're talking about beers. I was. I know there used to be a mad abbot who was prime minister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't discuss him at any length. Um, but um, yeah, so I was able to obtain twenty of these. So again, this is before Ale Stars. So me and my buddy sat down. We drank all these um, uh, these triples. I had brewed one as well. Um, I think mine might be the one that took it up from nineteen to to twenty. And um, yeah, I was I was just really obsessed with that that sort of clarity that's in the beer, um, not just visual, but um, flavor wise. It's it's a profound flavor, but it's there's nothing um, muddy about it. It's, it sings. It's really bright flavors that are in that beer. Yeah, and that seems unusual that you were chasing triples. <laughs> people normally chase hops, don't they? You know, when they go on a beer Well, they journey, do now. They do they now. Ch- and obviously that wasn't... A th- a, an ava- I, it wasn't I accessible. I think that would have been a very short journey yeah. back then. <laughs> like I said, because, you know, we couldn't even lay our hands on you know, half a dozen IPAs that were... That would have... That anyone would really even call ha- a, a IPA these days. Um, Caledonian Thistle, for example. At f- 4.2% and not very hoppy, not an IPA. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, tell us about you have made the leap from homebrew enthusiast to actually commercial. Uh-huh. This is kind of, that journey is something a lot of homebrewers dream of. Yeah. <laughs> Was it a dream? <laughs> and, and tell us a little bit about how it happened and then, you know. The rest. As I said earlier on, I homebrewed a beer once when I was 19 and it was pretty awful. But obviously, something in me was, was keen to do that. And um, uh, I am very keen on cooking and, and anything. I like raw ingredients. I love to create, um, be it music or food or, you know, what, what have you. Creating is good. I'm not very good at drawing. Anyway, um i tell you what happened. When we came here, me and my partner Tracy, we, we just came on a holiday. And um, we did the classic thing. We got a camper van. We went, up to, we went up north. We went up to Cairns. And we bought a... Oh, you don't, you don't say Cairns, do you? You say Cairns. Cairns. <laughs> Cairns. There's no R in it. Um, and we bought a camper van. And, and we drove it as far as we could up north. Um, and then we turned it around and we headed back down. Somewhere in Queensland, I think, we were in a campsite... And this this guy, um, bit older, camped next to us, and he was brewing beer in his in his camp. 
and I was fascinated. I thought, what are you doing, mate? Because oh, it's brewing beer. How did you do that? How did you do that? Because he's on a campsite. I'm thinking that's pretty, pretty impressive. And he said, well, I'm going to be here for two or three weeks. That's enough time. He was, I think he was um, a bit of a nomad, this bloke. And so he brewed this beer. He, and he, you know, he, he uh, gladly gave us some every night. Said, here you go, have a beer. He had bottles and bottles and bottles of it in his van. Uh, and he was brewing it. And um, so I quizzed him on that. And he was just doing kit, kit brew. But he was able to do it, um, you know, in the back of this van in a, in a campsite. That just made me think, well, anyone can do that, right? But how can I do it? I actually started talking to Tracy about, you know, having a, a mobile home brewing set up in the in the van at that point. <laughs> but I very quickly started to, you know, do some research, and that wasn't feasible. Anyway, we were travelling with a. You would have had to leave Tracy uh, behind. Yeah, with yeah a there's room no, there's no room. You're gonna, you're <laughs> gonna have to catch the bus, love. So anyway, I was really interested in this. I was intrigued. And um, when we we were travelling with another couple of people that we'd sort of met, hooked up with on the way, um, really nice couple, um, Rob and Lizzie, shouts out to them, uh, they're actually, they actually live in Yorkshire, and um, when we got to Melbourne, they came and hung out with us, they were still doing some travelling, but they stayed with us for a bit, and they bought me, for either my birthday or my Christmas, um, a, a homebrew set up. One of the Cooper's kits that you can get at Kmart, you know, the um, it's got the fermenter there, it's got the it's got the kit and kilo sort of set up and the carbonation drops and the bottles and what have you. So I was like, oh, thanks, man, that's amazing. So I did the first brew, and that went okay for what it was, of course. And I did the next brew, and I used to go to the shop up on Peel Street near the Vic Market. It was a bit of a uh, homebrew and um, shop for the old Greek guys to get their equipment for pressing grapes. Um, people that went in to get stuff for making passata. You know, it was that sort of do-it-yourself type of home produce shop. And they had homebrew stuff. And I was just getting kit and kilo stuff, um, maybe with some extra hops here and there. But they were weird hops in a tea bag, like you used to buy in a foil package. Probably not very fresh. The beer seemed okay to me at the time. But the guy who I used to see every week when I was in there buying stuff would say to me, dude, if you, you're in here all the time. If you want to make better beer, you should go and check out this place over the other side of the city called um, uh, Grain and Grape. That's where, the, that's where people go when they're actually quite serious about doing the home brewing. Now... It wasn't in the place where it is now. It was somewhere else. I forget even the name of the suburb, but it was, you know, some somewhere west over there past Footscray. So anyway, I went and saw this place and saw all this different stuff, raw grains, um, different equipment. I thought, oh, my God. So I just threw myself into uh, researching on the Internet, got the um, How to Brew book, by um, uh, John, what's his name? By the way, I'm terrible with names. And <laughs> and, um, and uh, so what ta- ta- What year was so like, this? Yeah, this was probably not a long time after we were here. This is maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago. 
something like that, quite a while. So as anyone who is bitten by this bug will tell you, it's, it's an evolution that can kind of gather pace quite quickly. So before you know it, you're building bloody copper manifolds to strain warp through the bottom of a, an esky that you know can no longer be used as, a, as an esky and uh, you know picnics at the beach don't happen anymore because dad's used the, uh, the the cooling equipment <laughs> and he's got a camper van outside <laughs> camper van was got sold by then we were we, we had it we you know we were, we were becoming uh roots were going down but um but yeah so so it grew and it grew and it grew now then fast forward a few years um and i was living in elwood um probably not too far from where you are yourself and I had a fairly advanced homebrew setup of um, you know burners and coolers and 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 uh, you know hot liquor vessels and all this, and it was you know relatively relatively impressive in so much that as it could produce very delicious beer. I had temperature controlled fermentation, uh, beer serving fridges, draft beer on the go. And this isn't uncommon for for anyone who who gets into this hobby, but I used to have a garage that faced out onto the street, and the street was a cul-de-sac, so it was quite quiet. The kids used to just run up and down and play, and um, I used to do the brewing out on the pavement, um, so everyone in the street knew that there was beer being made, and then all the dads, majoritarily, but also the mums, we'd all sort of gather around in in my um, driveway on camp chairs and drink beer of an evening. And my um, now good mate from across the road, uh, Gus Kelly, who um, comes from the Kellybrook Winery family in the Yarra Valley and also um, at that time was, and still to this day, running the successful and brilliant uh, Kelly Brothers Cider Company, said to me, oh man, you know what I'd really like? I'd really like a brewery. Cider's great, but I love beer be great to um, have a brewery your beers are fantastic blah 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 wouldn't that be great one day um, and this is this is after me having harebrained ideas of maybe one day having a brewery myself but no idea how to do it or any finances to make it happen again this isn't uncommon is it for no home, it's absolutely everybody fantasizes <laughs> about that but m- my background is in science i did chemistry at university and and so quality control and measurement and everything was very much to the fore of my brewing techniques. I wanted to make the same beer consistent. I wanted to do, you know, achieve certain marks and make the product good quality. And I'm not saying everyone doesn't want that, but I was, I was tenacious, dogmatic, and bloody minded about that. Anyway, one one night the door knocked, and um, Tracy was out actually, and I, I was like, oh, she forgotten her keys, so I went and I answered the door, and it's Gus. Standing with a bottle of whiskey. Well, this is good. <laughs> Do come in, sir. Anybody's welcome at my house with a bottle of whiskey. But it's even better that it's you. So Gus came in and he sat down and he said, Listen, Shandy, I've got, I, th- I think I've got a brewery. And I know I've said to you before, I'd love to make your beer. Um, or I'd love us to make beer. But I think, we, I, think I can do it. Are you interested? Would you do it? At that time, I was working for myself. Um, I work in IT. I'm a web developer, and I was just working from home. And I said, "Well, yeah, I could probably spare a, a day or two a week for for that." Um, 
and so he had obtained um, um, some other brewery, some brewery kit from the Coldstream Brewery in the Yarra Valley. They were they didn't need it anymore at their um, at their venue. He had a warehouse down in Moorabbin where he was already doing cider ferments and packaging. So there was a bottling line. There was all this equipment and space, and sort of slowly, bit by bit, over the course of a year, he installed this this brewery. And um, and then and then I started. Um, you know, one day I went in there. We bought a load of grain. We bought a load of hops. We bought a bunch of yeast, and we started making beer. Was it scary or was it exciting? Well, I had a repertoire of beers already, tried and true recipes that I'd won awards for um, that we were going to basically make the core range into. Um, so we had a beer, um, which I was calling XPA. Now, XPA now is, is quite commonplace. There's a lot of beers called XPA. At that time, there wasn't a beer in Australia called XPA. We were the first to do it. And I had called it XPA because it was a pale ale that was it was more kind of in the in the in the spirit of um, American pale ales that were you know quite quite bold and quite big 5.6% is what Sierra Nevada pale ale is but every pale ale at the time in Australia was 4.8 to 5% and they just didn't seem to quite get to the mark of that that kind of you know the archetype the uh, the Sierra Nevada so we had that at 5.8%, I just wanted to nudge it up a little bit and make it somewhere between a pale ale and, a, and an IPA. And we had a porter, and we had a beer, a garden beer, which I'd sort of made in the mold of, um, uh, you know, the fantastic um, uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. A light, wheat-based, um, fruity beer that everyone can come to your house and drink. So that was, that was our three starters. But yeah, it was scary. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> just, just, just to actually answer your question. Yeah, because there's uh, there's the excitement of trying out these beers on big kits, on actually getting your beers to a wider audience than the no through road that you <laughs> occupied. That's right. And, and um, but also the scariness because <clears throat> there's money, there's reputation, there's other things riding on this. That's You've got right. A young family, so. Yeah, you're exactly right on all those marks. Fortunately for me, Gus is a standout, wonderful human being who was completely across all of that stuff. I'm very autodidactic. And for those of you who don't know what that word means, I teach myself a lot of stuff. Book read and and very practical. Um, And as I discussed with you before we started this podcast, that's probably how a lot of brewers have been in Australia in the past. Um, in in small scale setups, now there's a lot more education and and what have you, but I felt for fairly confident that we could we could do it properly. And um, I'll be honest with you, we have we didn't throw any beer away. The first brew that we did took about eighteen hours. <laughs> uh, we had stuck mash, we had all manner of issues, which any any um, any new newly installed brewery could have whether or not it was you know commissioned by dme or just put together by yourself you're always going to have those sorts of issues so that beer was a version of xpa and we ended up calling it dry pa because it fermented out so hard 
It, <laughs> wa- it was about, I think it ended up being about close to 7%, a very dry, very hoppy um, IPA. But well, look, we got through it. We we probably drunk more of it than anybody else, um, but it was by no means um, a dud. It just it didn't fit the the target that we'd set for package, which was to replicate the beer from my garden at 5.8%. But we'd had a stuck mash and our temperatures were off. We didn't have a very good thermometer. Things were a bit cool in the mash tun, so it all got very, very fermentable. But look, that was probably the only the only um the only hiccup we we very quickly got good at using using that equipment and uh made great beer so yeah that's from from rob and lizzie giving me that um homebrew kit living in our little unit in south yara whatever it was 14 years ago to making beer at riders um that was the journey were the uh were the neighbors upset when you moved out they would have been upset. Oh they? yeah, look. Did they offer to pay rent? <laughs> <laughs> we we, we couldn't st- we couldn't stay at that house in Elwood. Um, we were renting, and the owners were overseas, but they were moving back. So, yeah, gutted. Yeah, bad and, times. Look, I was gutted, and and I hear what you're saying. I think the neighbours were probably a bit a bit browbeaten as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's go for choice four. All right, choice four. So, look, I've got there's a few other beers on the on the list here, and I um I don't want to stay overseas for the for the whole journey, so I'm going to come back. Um, I'm going to pick because of where we are, and um, we're talking about this decade anniversary. I'm going to pick um, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale for a few reasons, um, but the first reason is that I was fortunate enough to be in Byron Bay um, at the time when they had probably done less than 20 brews. Um, through Ale Stars, I knew Brad. I think we'd had him in here when he worked for Matilda Bay. We had Neil in as well. Um, not sure if they were on the same lineup or if it was separate. So when I knew that he, he had a brewery up there, at that time, we used to um, we used to holiday in Byron Bay a bit. I think at that point we only had ten years ago. Yeah, get it right, Shan. Yeah, you only had one kid at the time. <laughs> you um, didn't leave one behind. Didn't leave one behind. <laughs> so we we actually used to go up there a fair bit for holidays, as most people do. But then you have loads of kids, loads of kids, two kids, and things. <laughs> things get expensive, and you don't travel as much. Um, so I was very lucky to be up there at the time when they had just opened. Um, Back then, the beer wasn't called Pacific Ale, it was called Draft Ale. And so I presented myself at the brewery to see to see Brad um, and check it out and find out what was going on. And actually, Brad wasn't there. I think it was just Ross that was there. But I got a tour of the place and I think Brad showed up after. I forget now the, 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 the details, but... Um, we had this long conversation because the beer for me was amazing. I mean, everybody's tried Stone and Pacific Hill these days, so you know what the flavours are. Um, the conversation was all about how they had moved there as a bit of a bit of a tree change. You know, they'd all packed in. People know this story, of course, as well. But they packed in the jobs with the big brewers, and they'd moved up there 
to try and start something very um, uh, sort of community centric and to really make a beer that was of the of the space of the area and um, they were adamant all of them adamant to me in the conversations that the beer they were never going to go mainstream with it they were just putting it in kegs it wasn't even going to go in bottles no package this would this is just for the people of the shire up there uh and i remember saying to brad at the time you're you're mental mate people are going to go absolutely batshit for this if they taste it you you you've built a rod for your own back here to use a an old phrase but um yeah i said mate this is so good and you're right it is of this place but everyone's going to want a taste of it. It's it's amazing that when you look at Stonerwood now, that you basically say that they lacked ambition. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they lacked ambition. I think they tempered their own ambition. Yeah. They just, you know, if they were being honest, and I'm sure they were at the time to themselves, they just were in a in a space where they wanted to slow down, make this beer for the community, and enjoy the lifestyle up there. I genuinely believe that's what they intended, but I don't think they could have predicted um, the the success that would come of, of the beer and how popular it would be, how much people would really enjoy it. I mean, I, they obviously knew that they were making a great beer and that the people of Byron and the Shire would, would embrace it, but um, they might have underestimated, shall we say, how, how far that could go. And the head brewer, Keelan... Keelan, yeah, uh, he was at Ale Stars earlier this year and said only a couple months ago. Yeah, and said we're not, um, we're we not putting beer in, in cans. cans. Yeah, and now what are they doing? They've just released <laughs> it hot off the press. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, the, they've said that the Pacific Ales are going in cans. So, yep, r- remarkable uh, turnaround in a few months. But they, they were talking about. Well, they said it was because of the um, unc- uncertainty around quality. So they've obviously come to terms with that or got an equipment that met their exacting standards and they're releasing it i believe as um as a as a limited edition in november i think they said what did they say november 11th it might even be tomorrow that that's going to be available yeah and then going more mainstream and and broader come january yeah so i think uh, which is great because i'm going to byron for christmas (laughs) (laughs) and i think it's uh 375 mil Cans oh. and they've also the game is won. <laughs> yeah, and also they've uh, just released the um, Imperial Stout uh, barrel aged Imperial Stout, which is uh, very smart releasing a stout in summer. Yeah, because no one else is releasing stouts now, so they're the they're the standouts in the market. A, there's a lot to admire about Stonewood, and I know they have their detractors. I know that a lot of them. Look, we'll rewind the story a little bit, um, just to tie in my my interface but when i got back from that trip to byron i um i came in here and i could not tell enough people about this beer and how they must 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 get it and it must arrive in melbourne and i don't give a hoot how but um somebody needs to get it go up there and drive it down whatever it takes um but i remember when the first kegs arrived um a lot of sort of beer beer nerds people with you know who thought they had beer credentials sort of being a bit down on it because it wasn't very high in booze um yeah there's a lot of hops and flavor but it wasn't you couldn't call it an ipa and it wasn't bitter etc didn't quite fit any 
you couldn't you couldn't write about it or check it in on Untapped or I don't even know if Untapped was around there, but it didn't quite fit, and so people weren't able to label it, and so they sort of, you know, some pompous arseholes were a bit shitty about it, and I think that might still happen to this day where people discredit it a little because it's not for those reasons, but maybe because it's more it's, it's mainstream and it's available everywhere. But you get that beer fresh, it is so very wonderful to drink in Australia in our climate in the summer. And once you get up the coast, of course, into any warmer regions with a bit of humidity, it's, it just really comes into its own. And if you can drink it in Byron, if you're lucky enough to be there, get it fresh or get it from the brewery. Superb. And you can't credit those blokes enough for what they've done for the industry overall as well. I think, uh, yeah, we've uh, it's actually been a beer that's shown up on this podcast time and again. Because, I'm, I'm sure. Because it's, it, you know, I think the criticism comes of it because of its category rather than its quality. And uh, I think that definitely having a beer like that is is a massive gateway for, you know, the haze in it gets people over the haze thing because it tastes approachable. So if you're not into craft and you order stone wood, there's so many people who enjoy it who wouldn't cra- class themselves as craft drinkers. That's right, yeah. I mean, it's actually the only beer that my missus will drink. It's a Trojan horse, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a- she does not like beer per se because it's bitter, and but she will drink stone wood because it's got that beautiful tropical aroma and and it's not overly bitter. It's just wonderfully balanced. And Byron Bay. I'm looking forward to hearing about your trip. Yeah, um, yeah you, you will hear about it, I'm sure. <laughs> I just love the idea of you coming back to the tap house saying, there's Byron Bay draft. We've got to get it here. <laughs> I know, like, find, some, sure? <laughs> find something else. But the, here's the other thing. I mean, you go up there and you get to the the, um, the the tap room now, which is the old original brewery. And you and I have, because of Ale Stars and because of the tap house here, had some of the beers, f- limited edition short run beers from there. Everything they do is exceptional. I mean, the, that Imperial Stout, for example, <whistles> hands down a winner. Got the Midas touch, haven't they? They really do. Um, Quality control, attention to detail, hardworking, diligent, very, very good brewers. And good kind of... And, just, know, a great, and just a great vibe. Uh, yeah, selling the brewery to their staff, almost unheard the of in the Proper anarchists, age. almost. Yeah. But not in the brew dog way. <laughs> but not in the brew dog way. Yeah, the, <laughs> the capitalists. That's a whole different uh, yeah, don't podcast. Get me, don't get me started. <laughs> um, choice five. Choice five. Right. Just because it deserves to be there, because it's another Australian icon, and and without it, I don't think we'd be where we are today. It's Little Creatures Pale Ale. I bet that's not the first time that's come up either. No, it's. One of those beers, again, because of distribution availability, but also I think just what it was up against, not yeah. not very much when it came out. So, Having said that, I think people underestimate the struggle that they had gaining acceptability with that beer. Um, in Rewind, again, um, back 10 years before this place even opened, that was one of the beers that I could reliably... Uh, drink and know that was going to be of a high quality but it wasn't that easy to find you would not find Little Creatures Paleo in the abundant uh, availability that you'll find it today, it was not in every bottle shop and um, even when you did find it or you ordered it people might actually give you a bit of a oh, you drink that kind of a look 
I went, I remember exactly where it was in a sick Bimbo Deluxe um, up in Fitzroy. They had um, they had it on draft, and I I bought a pint one day, and the guy looked at me and he said, "Oh, you drink that Flowers beer?" I was like, "Wow, this beer is so so." This is this is the divisive kind of. Um, way that the beer was perceived it was quite different from any other Australian beer at the time you look at any of the James Squire range or Matilda Bay range and they weren't even close to it this beer had such a unique aroma at the time unique flavour that people just didn't even categorise it the same way they categorised other beer even the servers in bars people in bottle shops if you took a six pack of that to a barbecue and offered one to someone who didn't know what it was, they'd be all, what? The actual? Nah, you're all right, mate. I want my <laughs> beer to taste like beer. It was quite radically different. And it was 5.2%, I think. That's right. And we don't which is a lot stronger than that, its competitors. That's that. correct. Again, I think it doesn't receive the credit that it probably deserves from the, um, the new generation of beer aficionados, the beer hunters, around now I think it's a little overlooked in that way beer hunters in, in that context sounds like rhyming slang but <laughs> I know um, my my really good pal Ronan um, who who was actually one of the members of my original little beer club that really spawned Ale Stars for the longest time it was unpalatable to him you have to remember that the flavours there were quite profound whilst whilst they are diminished in terms of um, bitterness, hoppiness, and aroma compared to contemporary versions of that style nowadays, a decade ago, that was pretty crazy. And he, I, I remember him saying, oh man, that's nah, too hoppy for me. Can you even imagine that nowadays? Somebody saying, nah mate, little creature's too hoppy for me. And that's coming from someone who's drinking beers at a beer club with his mates. Astonishing. It's kind of it's wonderful to kind of take to give it that to context, go, to, yeah, to go back and see it in the context that it was, yeah, uh, that it really paints the picture of where the Australian beer scene was at that time. So it, it's fascinating, yeah. and it was one of those beers. Of course, it was um, eighteen dollars a six pack, <laughs> which was you know two or three bucks more than anything else. And I even remember having the conversation with Ronan again. I, I, dragging him back in, him saying, "When little creatures pale ale becomes gets to twenty dollars, I can't afford it anymore." <laughs> <laughs> that just puts an economic context around it as well. Well, before we go to your sixth choice, after your sixth choice, you're going to uh, choose one snack to go with the beers, uh, and um, and I'm looking forward to it because you're the second vegetarian. That we've had on the podcast. Right. Uh, the other one was Dan Schofield, and obviously myself, I do. I, yeah, I'm partial yeah. to a bit of fish, but yeah, this well, is I'm a very like, yeah, I'm, dominated. I'm, I'm like you, man. I do go, I do go the, the, the fish as well. Um, so, the, yeah. Yeah. So, and um, the uh, a vessel to drink these six beers out of. Yeah, Just one yeah, vessel yeah. that you're going to. I've got that one. Got yeah, that, perfect. Got so, what's choice six? All right. So, choice six. Um, I'm going to go with one of the more unique beers um, 
and by the way, I could I, th- this we could go on for hours. There's so many beers now coming to mind, which I'd love to discuss. We but we I'm, can give some an honourable mention if you. But want I'm going to well. go with um, Schlenker last smoked Mertzen. This beer was brought to me to the f- the first time I ever drank this. I think it was the first time. Was one afternoon, actually no, it was a morning. Um, one morning brewing in my mate's um, laneway. So I used to do all my home brewing in Ronan again. Oh, he's getting so many mentions. He'll like this. Used to brew in the laneway behind Ronan's house. He had a garage, um, which was attached to his apartment in the in the laneway, and we used to store all the brewing equipment and brew in there. And um, obviously, while we're brewing, we'd have a couple of drinks. Anyway, he brought these these beers this morning, and one of them was Schlenkerla um, smoked melts in the Rauchbier, and. We drank it, and but the the two of us kind of just looked at each other and, th- and sort of, oh, what the, that, what, how even is what could it? We were absolutely gobsmacked. Now he's also a vegetarian, so we neither <laughs> of us at this point neither of us have eaten bacon in decades. Um, but that so, that unique smoky barbecuey bonfirey malty. Toasty, biscuity, toffee, balanced with that hot bitterness. It's just there. Astonishing. Just amazing. And then when you start to find out how they do it and the history and the way they use the beechwood to to dry the malt to get that smoke in there. I'm trying very hard not to use expletives here. Amazing. So, just superlative. And it actually travels over here incredibly well. The bottles are superb. They've had a draft, um, a little bit of a draft show on here. And um, just amazing, man. And, and the malt flavor just sh- sings and shines through with that smoke as well. You get that, you taste that German malt quality in there. It's superb. Just superb. Because with smoky beers, I've had quite a few that are very unbalanced. Yeah, that smoke overrides everything. You can't really yeah, do anything else. It's a bit of an ashtray. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so getting one from the masters is delightful. Amazing. And Moorish. Oh my god! It's like a, a packet of tobacco. bacon fries. <laughs> <laughs> it's like smoking. It's like got the very Moorish. Very yeah. Moorish. Yeah. It, it can, you can get in trouble when beer is like that, but it's it's so delicious. Um, the 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 and and the wonderful thing about it, of course, is it's a lager. How many minds would be blown by telling them Tri- taste this lager? Like what? That is that's not Carling. Where are we going here? So um, it's a it's so superb. It, it's a great beer. And uh, is there any um, ones that get an honourable mention? Honourable mentions. I was going to go with um, uh, Weinstefan Tradition because Dunkel is again one of my most favourite styles. It unfortunately doesn't get a Guernsey a lot of the time. Very overlooked. There was one on the tap here recently by a brewery whose name escapes me, unfortunately, because I'd love to give them a a little bit of uh, promotion, and it was actually very, very good. Um, I wanted to promo, uh, or rather, you know, give a a nudge to some of the riders' beers um, because they're just close to my heart, and whilst they wouldn't, I couldn't possibly put them in the six. This is about beers that you're emotionally attached to, and so I'm emotionally attached to all of those. Um, 
But yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to rattle on. Let's get on with the snack and the, yeah, and the, go and on, the vessel. Go on. Um, what is the snack? Because if I did rattle on, the list would be forever. <laughs> There's other experiences. Oh, just really. I remember one of wonderful things like getting half liter cans of Pilsner in German airports. I mean, things like that just don't happen in Australia. But those are the wonderful experiences that you have that you remember. Um, yeah, a half liter can out of a vending machine in a in Berlin, I believe, or. Yeah, I think it was Berlin Airport. Responsible service of alcohol. Just Beautiful. <laughs> serve yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, wh- wh- where are we now? Wh- wh- the snack. We- the yeah. snack. Right, well, I think any snack that you have uh, with, with, with beer has to, um, has to contrast or complement it. But I'm going to go um, with... Uh, wh- what was the thing? I-, I made it on the weekend. Um, sambal... Ikan bilis, all right. So I think it might be an Indonesian thing, and it's um, basically a, a deep-fried um, white bait or some such small fish in a in a spicy sambal, and it's it's the bait I make it at home. It's anchovy, sorry. It's not it's not um, it's not white bait. It's anchovy, deep-fried anchovy in a, a spicy sambal, wow. um, and it goes great with just about every beer. Probably not with a stout porter or or a wintry beer, but while we're in this, you know, burgeoning sunshine period, goes great with anything hoppy, or anything, uh, uh, you know, in the in the pilsner kind of category. Great, lovely. And what are you? Because I'm a bit of a chili fiend as well. Yeah, chili's the best, isn't it? That's right. But not in beer. (laughs) Not not actually in beer. To compliment your beer as an aside, but not in the beer, no. I've had one good Chipotle beer um, from Batch, but not yet. Yeah, I love a Chipotle, but I, I think I had a McKellar Chipotle beer that was that was good yeah. once. But look, it takes a it takes a deft touch to do that correctly. Absolutely. So, um, what are you drinking these beers out of? Well, if we go back to the Vesmile, for example, that's got to be in the Vesmile glass. But I tend to, um, I tend to find just about everything works f- for me at least um, in my uh, in my traditional English pub pint nonic, you know, with a with a bubble on it. I swear to God, I will go back to that time and time again. More than anything, it's about habit, right? It's about what you pull out of the cupboard that you're comfortable with to put the beer in. And if I and I have a lot of beer glasses, but a lot of them are very specific. So, you know, I'm not pouring a stone and wood into my quack glass, <laughs> for example. <laughs> I like a bit of headspace because I like to get my nose into the glass. So, obviously, you know, a snifter works well when you've got a, a, a smaller volume beer. But, hey, we're drinking, we're drinking 360s, uh, 375s, sometimes 400ml cans, what have you. Put that in the Imperial Pint bubble. And um, you've got room for your nose in there. You can get a bit of foam on the top. That's what works for me. Majoritively, that is the, that's the glass I'll reach for. Given an option of about 30 in my cupboard, that's the one I'll pull out more often than any other. 
And that's probably true even if you're not having beer. It's just a great glass for like juice and <laughs> water and yeah, well the, anything else. You know what my my water glass that I take to bed with me every night is a is a Weinstefan Pilsner glass. <laughs> with, you know the big one with the handle, the big tall um five hundred mil handle. That's, the, that's, that's in case the burglars uh <laughs> <laughs> Well if I yeah, yeah, it's it's hydrating but it's also a weapon. <laughs> It's well, very awesome. Well, Shandy, thanks so much for taking us through your six beers that changed everything. Um, the Earl Stars happens on the third Tuesday, third of, every Tuesday month. of every month. It's great to come along. You, you don't have to sign up to come along. You can just buy a ticket. That's for right. Anyone's an welcome. They go out on. Uh, I don't know how do they, how do they say it? is it Eventbrite or something? You yeah, and Facebook. I Facebook. Think you if can you get. if you just if you just search um, Tap House or Earl Stars on Facebook, you can. Uh, you can get hooked up and you can find out when the event's on and you can get yourself a ticket and even just arrive and I'm sure as long as we're not too busy you'll get let in yeah fantastic and thanks so much Shandy for making the time and uh, no what a great place to record the local tap house and it's 10th birthday we couldn't have done it anywhere else it could so, not have happened thanks a lot Shandy you're welcome well that was it Shandy wasn't that great? <laughs> so much fun. I know I say this a lot about guests, but we could have talked for hours. <laughs> it was it was lucky that we both had something to do after the recording, um, because I just think we wouldn't we'd still be there. We wouldn't have left. So thankfully, we both have uh, children, um, not together, uh, but we both have children which we were responsible for, which made us have to stop and leave at some point. So thanks so much for Shandy for making the time there. And great to have the recording in the local tap house as well. Such a special place for Australian craft beer and home of the Ale Stars, which is a wonderful place, a safe space for people to get together and share their passion and love and knowledge for high quality beer. We've only got one episode left for the year And my goodness, it's a belter. So make sure you keep an eye out on social media, The Chosen Brew, at The Chosen Brew on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those uh, channels you can get um, information about The Chosen Brew. Most importantly as well, if you could spend a couple of minutes just reviewing on iTunes or whichever platform that you listen to your podcasts on, that would be much appreciated because it does help people find the podcast and hopefully, ultimately, ends up in more education, more joy, more love for good beer. And that could only benefit us all. Thanks again for listening and make sure you share with your friends and get them listening to podcasts that I have great time making and hopefully you have a good time listening to as well. See you next time.